so we've all said that we're hormonal, right? But what does it actually mean? Like we love to blame it on our hormones, but most people just say it. Or their partner's saying, um, are you due for something? That time <laughs> that of the, the month, worst. right? So I mean, PMS is an obvious hormone imbalance, definitely mm. an obvious hormone imbalance where there's a definite change in hormones. And some women get PMS for two days and others that are, you know, more severe, like PMDD, they're getting it for half the month. Now, that's no way to live your life. Half of your life being emotionally, you know, ruined amongst other symptoms, you don't need to live like that. Welcome to Retreat Yourself Radio. I'm your host, Kate Williams. I'm a personal trainer, certified health coach, and founder of Retreat Yourself. If you're looking for a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life, then you've come to the right place. Each week, I'll be diving deep into what it means to live a life well-lived, holding thought-provoking conversations with some of the world's most inspiring people, leaving you with actionable tips, tools, and takeaways so that you too can lead a life well-lived. So grab a cuppa, sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time to begin your journey to your most incredible life. Hey guys, I cannot believe we're onto our fourth guest episode. It's so exciting and so crazy. Time is absolutely flying by. I don't know what's happened this year. I am absolutely blown away by today's guest. She is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. You'll hear it through the episode and I just know you're going to get so much out of it. Today, I'm interviewing the wonderful Nat Kringudos. Let me tell you, Nat has done many things, so (laughs) if I can't spit them all out in one go, you'll understand why. Nat is a Chinese medicine doctor, she's an acupuncturist, she's an author, a podcaster with two of her own podcasts, one which started a long time ago, long before many of us really even knew what podcasts were. She's the founder of Melbourne's Women Health Clinic, The Pagoda Tree. She's a creator of Yo Nuts, and she's a producer of Health Talks TV, amongst so many other things. But the thing that gets Nat going the most is making hormones happy. It's her method of using integrative health to treat the root cause and not just the symptoms that really interests me the most. In this episode, you'll learn what hormones are and why it's important to keep them in balance, how hormones affect our everyday health in so many more ways than you'd think. And let me tell you, it's so much more than just reproductive health how you can identify when your hormones are out of whack and what you can do to get them back on track. And honestly, there's just so much more. I'm telling you right now that you're absolutely going to love Nat's high energy, her wisdom and expertise in this episode. As always, if you're loving what you're hearing, please tag us at Retreat Yourself Radio on Instagram, or please leave a review. Every little bit of feedback and insight helps. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy. Nat, welcome to Retreat Yourself Radio. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I should be saying thank you for having me in here. I'm in your beautiful clinic. I don't know what's that beautiful at the moment. We don't have any carpet. (laughs) (laughs) It's got character. It does have character. (laughs) It's really nice. Um, So I've been following you for a long time. Oh, that's kind. (laughs) Well, before I started my business journey, actually. So I know all about you and what you're doing. It's not scary at all. (laughs) (laughs) Just stalking you casually. Um, I am always in awe of how much knowledge you have. Like you just know so much about so many things and you're so entrepreneurial. You've got so many different things going on and you have two kids. Like that's just superwoman stuff. (laughs) 
It's it's just an evolution. Like, it, and I say this because I mentor um, now. I've got the privilege of adding to my business repertoire <laughs> mentoring, which is something I resisted for a really long time. Um, but it's an evolution. You know, you don't go from having. Mm you know, two patients to having thousands of patients overnight. Nobody does that. You don't go from, um, you know, two Instagram followers to 50,000 Instagram followers. And if you did, you wouldn't know what the heck to do with that. Or you bought them. Right, or you bought them. But you still probably (laughs) wouldn't know what to do with that. That's a lot of management. Mm -hmm. So I think being open to the evolution of that is what's really important. And I don't know if you saw the other day, I got asked again, that same question, how do you do everything? How do you do it all? It's like, oh, I don't. (laughs) Let me just tell you, first of all, I absolutely don't. I have an amazing team. I drop the ball all the freaking time. Mm. Um, But I think the one thing, if you look at that woman who is out there and she just seems to be always ahead of the game she seems to be able to do it all or at least coordinate it or see something that others can't, I would say the one thing she does is she carves out time for herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I've sat back and watched this over the last, not that long, because I, but I keep getting asked this question. And if I look at all of my girlfriends or friends, whether it's business or personal, the ones that are like that are the ones that actually do just do that innately. They create time for themselves, you know, mothers of four children, but they manage to do it all. Mm-hmm. They yeah. create time for themselves. And, you know, you might be sitting there listening going, I don't even have time to go to the toilet. And you might not even have kids yet. Um, you've got to make the time because totally. no one's going to do it for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I suppose ha- having that time for yourself allows you to step back, kind of regroup and then go again with, you know, you don't have that same strength if you're constantly going, 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 going. Totally. I guess when business is new, that's our default as well. It's like I've got to get it all done. Mm-hmm. I've got to get it done tomorrow. And, and whilst you've got to hustle, no doubt, there's also something really powerful in the stillness and the surrender. So I guess that's probably been, without even realising, something that I've prioritised. Yeah. Um, I haven't realised that. And, and, you know, I guess in the beginning that can feel selfish. You can be like, especially when you've got kids. <laughs> yeah, I can admit. But, but I think, um, yeah, in doing that, that's probably something that I've always done innately, whether it's an hour at the gym mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a facial and I'm not getting facials every day, just let me make it clear. <laughs> you know, that might dream. be once a month. But prioritising that, having that in your calendar, booking that in advance, that's the only way that's going to happen too, mm-hmm. by the way. You have to book it in. Yeah. Yeah. Each so time planned. you leave one of those places, whether it's a massage or the gym or whatever, you need to know when you're going to be back there again. Otherwise <laughs> it just won't happen. Yeah, exactly. No, that's amazing. And really good advice as well because at Retreat Yourself, that's what we're very much about. It's like taking time out for you to disconnect and mm. then reconnect with who you are and having that extra energy to be able to put into all the, doing all the things that you yeah, love. So totally. I love that you said that. <laughs> Could you please tell our listeners um, about what you do in your own words? I think I can sit here and explain it and um, I've done a bit of an intro about you and what you do, but it's always really interesting to hear it from the person yeah, themselves. Yeah, of course. So um, my background is Chinese medicine. I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine um, and I've had my practice for over 15 years now, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> um, but I was really lucky to somehow land at the start of the wave with the whole wellness revolution, if we want to call it that. And I'm not a... M- my, my podcast called The Wellness Collective. I'm really not a fan of the word wellness anymore because it's come this, become this real cliche. Yeah. Um, I think it's just living your best life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I guess, yeah, I opened the clinic and I had this influx of women that I resisted treating for their hormones because I didn't feel equipped to be able to treat them. Um, the conditions I was seeing coming in the doors were nothing that I'd learned at school um, or university, I should say. They were modern day problems, but they weren't yet being recognised as modern day problems. Mm. So, you know, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as estrogen dominance or adrenal burnout or... Um, I don't know, even to get a diagnosis of PCOS was near impossible. So I guess I just started, I just started treating it. I didn't know really what I was doing. I said to patients, this is just not, not something that's taught or learnt. So let's go on our own sort of path. To, let's, let's carve out our own path together. And do I have permission to maybe get it wrong? Because, well, no, no one else is helping. So yeah. we might as well try something different. And so um, I became really successful really quickly without realising that and that certainly wasn't an intention and, again, very organic growth. And I think that's the, that's when the magic really happens, when you allow for that to sort of just pave the way. Um, so from there, you know, again, it was um, – I started a, a website and a blog, had no idea what I was doing, started doing that, loved it because it was – I love to talk and I love to be social and it was my way of being – social with, um, you know, a family. And I started, this is when we started to have children. And so I just immersed myself in, in that, which then, you know, begin to, began to grow. And yeah, I guess I never really realised that I was entrepreneurial until recently. <laughs> because entrepreneur is such a word Right. Says, yeah. um, but if I think back my whole life, I've always found ways to make it happen or make, you know, make it happen, I guess. Mm. Um, and that's, to me, that's just living my life to try and actually get the best out of it. So, you know, from there again, writing the front of the wave, Instagram, um, podcasting, it was all experiments. It wasn't like, oh, this is the next thing I need to be doing. It was like, oh, that looks fun. Maybe I'll give that a go. Um, and I think we were talking before we started that my first podcast is nearly eight years old. We had no idea what we were doing. It's pretty bad if you go back and listen to the first episode. <laughs> I feel like everybody that has a podcast will think that. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and so, but again, it was just learning and we love doing it and we continue to do it. No idea that podcasting would become what it is today. Mm. Um, I think we had the privilege of attending the podcast awards um, just this year and the um, announcement that was made was that there is a podcast started every eight minutes. Wow. <laughs> it's so, insane. But we're loving the information and we're loving absorbing it this way, so why not, you mm. know? And uh, I guess it's, it's a really powerful way to be able to get a message out um, and people love listening. So yeah. I guess you're either a podcaster or a listener. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, you, um, you can be both. You can be both. <laughs> but I mean, you know, listeners, aren't, the majority of people don't actually aspire to make a podcast, but they're very happy that you're making one. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And it's also good. I think it's good that so many people are listening now because it's created a demand for more as well. Oh, and it, I'd much rather podcast than write a blog post, let me tell you right now. It's <laughs> like pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I finally got one out of me yesterday. It's probably taken, you know, months. I'm like, oh, do I have to do this? I don't <laughs> it like so it anymore. Energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to step back a bit um, about what you were saying at the start about when you first started your clinic and there was all of these conditions that you didn't know what they were. Was it because they weren't recognised or was it because they weren't a thing so much back in the day and they've become more of a thing because of the way we live our lives? I think we had to get curious because there were women showing up with all sorts of wild and wonderful symptoms mm. that we didn't have an explanation for. They are a direct result of our modern-day stressful, high-pressure lives. 
to amplify that. You know, we're exposed to toxins that we've never been exposed to before. Um, we work hours that we've never worked before, um, especially as, um, you know, new mums go back to work really quickly. It's just all-encompassing. So mm. I think they were they were... They snuck up on us, these conditions. I think they snuck up on us really quickly. And, and food quality too, I should also add. You know, I remember in the 80s and 90s, chicken wasn't what chicken is today. Mm. Um, so, you know, just looking at that whole perspective of things, I think you're right in both of saying that they were modern day new problems that we hadn't caught up in creating, a, understanding why and creating a, a label or a diagno- diagnosis for them. So, um yeah, I think they are recognised now, obviously, but 15 years ago, you know, if you had ovulation pain, it took me years to work out what that meant for women. And for most women, it means they've got excess oestrogen. And it yeah. doesn't mean that it's um, a permanent condition. It just means that under the circumstances, your body has more than it can deal with pretty much. And, you know, the end result is that is not just inflammation and pain, but it's certainly a contributing factor. Wow, that's amazing. So, <laughs> so much information. Do you, I think, and stepping back as well, um, saying that you're a Chinese medicine doctor, do you mind explaining a little bit about what that is and what you do as a Chinese mm, medicine I don't doctor? have a cauldron, I can tell you that much. That I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's important. I studied traditional Chinese medicine and I also studied acupuncture and it was very different when I studied. I spent... Um, the best part of 11 years at a tertiary level learning about science and the human body and then adding to the mix Chinese medicine, which was just like, whoa, this is not, <laughs> this does not align. Western physiology and Eastern physiology, they don't match. No. Um, and so, I mean, Chinese medicine is a very ancient um, diagnostic and healing system that really looks at the root cause of why people have, you know, certain imbalances or um, signs and symptoms and problems and diagnosis. Um, It's been around for, like I said, thousands of years and we use both herbal medicine and acupuncture to treat that. But I guess everything's treated through what we would call an organ system. So each organ has a role that's sort of 50% physical and 50% emotional and looking at the sum of all of that and how they all work together is really how we treat. So yeah, I really had to unlearn everything that I'd learnt because it was the most bizarre. I was like, what are you talking about? That is not what happens. But it is a little bit, I guess, um, unsubstantial. Like there's, there's ways that we can explain things in Chinese medicine that make no sense in Western medicine, but it fills the gaps, I like to say. What I really found for me became a superpower was able was being able to integrate the two together mm-hmm. long before I felt there was many people doing that and to really be able to enrol the patient to understand why that's beneficial and what that meant. And if we were diagnosing you as liver blood deficient, let's say, that's not a Western diagnosis. So mm. explaining what that meant to them in a Western sense um, and or doing my best effort at trying to explain that. And I really love to do that in the clinic now. I'd say that my brain is more... Um, Western science based and then I then I bring in the Chinese medicine um, sometimes really early on in the piece with the patient sometimes not at all just using acupuncture and the rest supplements so it just really depends but I really love this you know the idea really comes back to treating the root cause of of the the, any issue yeah and not just the symptoms and I know that we've caught up with this in recent times Um, from a western perspective we're really looking at this idea of root cause and and what is the actual problem not just treating the symptoms but Chinese medicine's been doing this forever so yeah it's a lot of wisdom in it, even though it feels like it might be a little bit woo. It's it's 
extremely intelligent. Yeah, yeah. And so would you say that the difference between the two would be that the Western, that would be the main differences? I think the difference is in the West we we are very quick to treat symptoms and not really look at, hang on, why do you have acne and missing periods? Not, oh, actually, let's drill down and look at what else is going on. And you can still you know, arrive at a diagnosis, say, maybe of PCOS. <laughs> but in Chinese medicine, PCOS isn't – that's just not enough of a, a um, diagnosis. We look at, okay, well, if you have PCOS, your symptoms of PCOS may be very different from the person next to you who also has PCOS. So to treat it the same way makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have missing periods, facial hair, acne, the standard, you know, um, and the next person next to you might actually have – irregular cycles and they might be thin and have no issues with weight gain or acne. So the treatment of that is going to be specific to the patient based on how they present. And I think we're starting to do more of this, yes, but I don't think we're quite there yet um, when it comes to that Western approach. Yeah, and it, it fully is a holistic approach. It's, you know, when you have a symptom of one thing, it doesn't necessarily – maybe you've got a cold yes. and you go to the, the pharmacy and you get some, I don't know, cold and flu tablets, yes. or, for example, but the cold might be because you've got chronic stress. Right, and totally, yeah. and, and your immune system's totally shot to pieces and, you know, working on that is you, your gut's going to actually work much better. I think when we suppress symptoms, that becomes a real challenge as well and it's not to say that you don't want to use Western medicine for short-term relief. I think it's amazing for, uh, you know, someone who has excruciating period pain and is prescribe the pill, go for it. But now can we also look at, well, hang on, why do you have excruciating period pain and start to treat that even whilst she's on the pill, let's say, um, and and sort of see where that takes us, but not just using that as, oh, well, that's fixed now because unfortunately the pill doesn't do that. So, yeah. 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 Can I just quickly ask you what your opinion is on the pill? <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. Um, I think that it's, it's, um, it's, I'll say it this way. (laughs) It's one thing to take the pill for contraception and that should be out of an absolute informed choice, understanding what it does and how it impacts your body. Um, It's another thing to take it to treat a problem. It can't treat problems. It can just maybe help you manage your symptoms. And for most people who stay on um, the oral contraceptive pill or even the marina or uh, the shot or whatever you're having, um, over time it for many women, it becomes problematic because it depletes the vitamin and mineral stores, it upsets your gut microbiome, it um, can mess around also with our gut permeability. Um, and, you know, it, it also really at the very core, it's like genetically how are you, how, what have you been dealt and how is that mm-hmm. going to impact you? And I think that's what we need to look at. Um, so, you know, I have no judgment on people wanting to use that as a contraceptive method so long as they understand the implications and ramifications of that. And um, I think the biggest gift we can give to women is allowing them to understand their body before they would need to use something like the pill. Mm. Um, And if that's then their choice, then that's great. I mean, I had someone message me on Instagram the other day and they said, I'm currently taking the pill. Would it be okay if I use Slippery Elm in my smoothie? And I was like, okay, we've got a problem here because you have clearly no issue with taking the pill, probably without much awareness about what that's doing to your body, yet you're worried about Slippery Elm, which is a food, mm. you know, and is that going to impact the way that the pill works? It, it's like we should be flipping that story completely. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if I'm not having my Slippery Elm, 
is the pill going to impact my body? But we're not informed enough to know that and that's not that person's fault at all. But it was a little bit heartbreaking because I just want people to have the information and then make an informed choice. And then if you're like, I still want to go and I still need to use the pill, well then great, but you haven't done it with blinkers on, mm-hmm. you've actually been informed and made that choice. And I think that's where women go wrong often is that they they start to use a medication, whatever that might be, for their hormones without actually having the facts. And I think once we have the facts, we can ask the right questions, we can get curious and we can make an informed choice. And I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my friends and also myself um, are at an age where we're looking at having kids and that kind of thing. Um, and I haven't been on the pill for a very long time, uh, probably, probably like 12 years, mm-hmm. but a lot of my friends have been up until now. So they're in the, the stage where they're wanting to get pregnant. And there's so much information flying around that it's incredibly difficult to get pregnant coming off the pill. Do you have any? <laughs> I think the biggest issue there is that we already set ourselves up for failure before we've even tried. Mm. You know, it's the story of so many women. It's, it's. I don't know if I can fall pregnant. I probably can't fall pregnant. I mean, everybody else seems to be having trouble, so I will too. And when we start to tell ourselves that story, that becomes reality. So I think really checking in with your mindset around and, and creating and setting up what you want moving forward becomes very important. Um you, you know, I would say all patients, you need to be off the pill for a minimum of six months before trying because it, like I said, it depletes your vitamin and mineral stores. It changes a lot of things within your body. It's supposed to. That's what it's designed to do. Mm. Um, unfortunately, when you come off, these can be considered side effects because, you know, your hormones don't know what to do anymore. They might not be working um, or they might be or your symptoms might come back tenfold that you were taking the pill to suppress. So, you know, I always say look at what your body was like before you went on the pill. That's going to tell you a great amount of information as to what you might need to help to transition off the pill. Mm. Um, and when we can do that, I think we put ourselves, we put our body in a much better position for conception um, moving forward. So, you know, really looking after your nutrition, looking after your gut health, making sure your liver's detoxifying properly. Um, those things become very important. They should actually be happening whilst you're on the pill, mm-hmm. not just because you're deciding to come off. Yeah. I really live for that day where <coughs> your doctor says to you, hey, okay, you've made the choice to take the pill. Now here's all the other things that I feel like would be beneficial to help keep your body in an optimal state of health. Mm. The pill's still going to be bigger and bossier than those other things, but at least if you're doing those things, you're putting yourself in a better position for the future. And I think we don't think about the future. We don't think about breastfeeding. We don't think about postnatal depression. We don't think about being 35 with two children and feeling like we're going crazy. We don't think about menopause, not when we're, you know, in our 20s and 30s. No one's thinking about that. But I think having that wisdom that what you do today impacts the rest of your life um, and you want to make it as good as possible, it makes sense to continue to put your best foot forward. So starting to use that as your motivation. And I'm really passionate about this now. My, My whole, you know, my whole focus is helping young women understand their bodies because I see women in their 30s and 40s who are devastated because they didn't know what they, you know, when, when things started to go a little bit crazy in their early 20s, they just did exactly what we're saying. They took the pill or they had the marina inserted and pretended that the problem wasn't there. Mm. And if I had been able to fix them when they were 21 rather than when they're 41, it's a very different story. Or at least have the information, you know, at least understand your body. But when we were putting out this latest book, Beautiful You, we surveyed women. We we discovered that 40% of women 
30 and over didn't understand the difference between their vagina and their vulva. I mean, and I'm like, wow. so if you don't understand the difference between the inside and the outside, like what yeah, else don't you understand, yeah. you know? So it was really interesting and I think um, that's just testament to, you know, we were asked all sorts of questions. Are you satisfied with what your girls are being taught at school? 80% said no. Um, it was it was really um, powerful and also a little bit reinforcing that we we're on the right track here. We need to absolutely reach out to young women to help them understand themselves. Definitely. I think more at school you do sex ed or whatever and it's just such a... Totally. Just... Totally. It, it. I mean, my daughter's just going through this now. She's nearly 12 and it's quite hilarious. It is so much better than when we were at school, I have to say. Yeah, I remember putting a condom on a banana. Yeah. <laughs> I went to a Catholic school. I mean, I remember being basically told I mean I got taught about the menstrual cycle I got taught about the basics but I didn't it didn't line up I didn't understand ovulation needed to happen at the same time as sex to make a baby and I think they left that out on purpose going to a Catholic school they're like we don't want you to make a baby we don't actually want you having sex so you know it it set up this fear around so many parts of me and I guess I wrote beautiful you for the 14 year old me you know Um, that's amazing because I didn't have that resource and I was so confused. And my mum did a great job that was time and age appropriate for me, but it was time appropriate. And, you know, it was not normal to talk about a lot of this stuff openly. And I think the more we can talk about it, it just becomes, again, what we were talking about at the beginning with business, this organic progression for young women to understand themselves without it being taboo or scary or embarrassing. Yeah. It just is, you know, like any other body function. It's just part of what happens. Yeah, and it's so awesome that you're, you know, you've written Beautiful You and you're talking about all of this stuff on social media and it just shows the strength of social media as well. I think social media gets a really bad rap for so oh, many reasons. I but... completely disagree with the whole – I get how it can cause so much pain and anguish for people, but if we have that awareness around mm. how beneficial social media can be, I get really upset with this whole like, you know, and again, I'll probably upset people by saying this, but this whole like likes thing, when they took the likes off, um, I was like, this is madness. We need, to, if you are triggered by not having likes on your social media, you need to go and do some work. Yeah, They need to go inside and have a look at why that's triggering you. And you know, I get for young people, people are like, oh, yeah, but what about the young people? They don't have – it's up to us to teach them that. Absolutely. It's like you're going to lead by example. So I was baffled and I remember having very many quite heated conversations with people. I'm like, I don't think that's, again, a Band-Aid approach. It's not actually helping someone evolve or understand why they're triggered and look at self-worth and, mm. you know, so I just – I think social media is amazing. I think it's a wonderful communication tool. I think it's it it does feed. It's supposed to feed positivity. It is supposed to feed, but that's if you look at any algorithm, it's all about keeping someone happy and online on the page for as long mm. as possible. So. To say that it does the opposite, I can understand from the, you know, I'm not good enough, I don't look like that person. But also, could you not use that as motivation as well to go and be like, I'm so inspired by you, you're really kicking goals or whatever that is, but just flip it. Like, I really feel that. Um, And sure, I know that there's not everyone's going to agree with that but I just think like anything in life it's like you know I'm pretty sure once upon a time our parents like oh my goodness those video games that those kids are constantly staring at are the worst thing ever (laughs) you know but it was an evolution it was just part of growing up and part of who we were and we turned out okay yeah (laughs) I agree no I totally agree on the whole social media topic as well I think it's entirely up to the individual I think it's up to 
parents to teach her children to believe in themselves and have confidence in themselves. And that way you're guarded against social media because you can see someone that's beautiful and not feel inadequate next to them. Um, Absolutely. absolutely And as all, we all have different, you know, it's very cliche, but we all have different things that we're good at, all have different parts of us that are beautiful. And and it's also learning to to work out what those are for yourself. Mm. Like, what do you actually like about yourself? Don't worry about what you actually don't like. You know, I'm very transparent on social media. I'll put up pictures and say, okay, I almost didn't share this because there's four things I could look at this immediately and tell you I don't like, but they're probably not four things you're going to notice. Yeah. They're my four things. And also by not drawing attention to them, you're not even going to know they're there. Yeah. So how about I tell you what I do like, you know, how about I say power to women or how about I'm like positive body image or really, you know, I'm, I do, I'm, I am cheeky and I will use social media to rock the boat. I will absolutely take that opportunity. I think it's great for that too. Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about your book because I read through your book um, prior to coming here and it's incredibly interesting. I think when we think about health and wellness, um, we think about, you know, food, we think about fitness. At Retreat Yourself, we're very much about our 10 pillars, which is um, encompasses so many different things. It's your purpose, it's how much you sleep, it's how much fun you're having, it's so many different elements. I know in your book you spoke about hormones and I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think about their hormones when they're thinking about weight loss or they're thinking about their stress. And I know that you mentioned that it affects your bowels, it affects your energy, your skin, body fat, moods, everything like that. Um, And I just don't think people know that. So do you think you could explain a little bit about hormones and how the role that they do play in our greater health. Yeah, I say hormones are your life hack. If you can get them right, everything is so much better. (laughs) I mean, they're the master controllers of everything in your body. Mm. And I guess we're talking more specifically about your sex hormones and your stress hormones in the book, and they're very much in proportion to each other. Mm -hmm. So really helping people to get aware of that because that is really, you know, when you're asking me what's behind these modern illnesses is stress of some kind. And stress isn't just being busy or not meeting a deadline or missing a flight. You know, stress is what's your gut doing? How's your liver working? What are your emotions? Are you being social? Like there's so many aspects to helping us live with less stress, but most of us are living with a lot of it. And then we buy into the habit of that. So, you know, understanding that your stress hormones totally impact your sex hormones, but you need your stress hormones to make your sex hormones. Um, and confusing. Then, I know, right? Well, you need a little bit, but there's, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a feedback system where once you reach a certain point, it kind of turns off the sex hormones, so to speak, or at least pulls the handbrake slightly. So um, your sex hormones, you know, they're, they're so much more than you just having a period every month. Uh, estrogen is really important for, um, you know, so many things, including um, healthy fat distribution, um, building your lining, um, progesterone, you know, is is also, you know, if you don't have good balance of those, progesterone is so important for, for um, it's a natural diuretic, it helps us sleep, it's important for our bones, you know, there's so many aspects to those two are the main heroes, but then there's things like testosterone or luteinizing hormone. There's so many that we all need to work like a symphony orchestra. And when one slightly off, it can be a little bit of a disaster. So it's mm. also working out where things are off for people or patients. Um, and then, you know, you're, there's your other hormones. There's the hormones that help us sleep. There's the hormones that help us feel good. You know, there's 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 a whole plethora. Um, and so... 
each one does affect the next in some way. Yeah. And I think just understanding that is, is important. You know, you don't need to be an endocrinologist, but I think having the 101 on your hormones mm. really helps you to um, just look at this different area of your life that you might not have addressed before. Yeah. You know, sure, we're very good at going, oh, yeah, I can tick some physical boxes, I can move my body, I can make sure I'm sleeping, I can meditate, I can eat well. But when our hormones aren't in balance, that becomes a problem, definitely. Yeah. I know this might sound like a silly question, but what is a hormone? Like what is it what does what does it do? Yeah, so it's a chemical <laughs> messenger basically yeah, okay, that, yeah. that triggers a reaction or a, yeah. a response within the body. Mm-hmm. So we all have them. Mm-hmm. You can't escape them, you need <laughs> them. Without them you'd be dead. Um, and yeah, so I mean yeah, it will trigger a certain sequence of events mm-hmm. or make something within us happen. Um, and like I said, often one relies on the next in many ways. So we can look at a relationship of cortisol and melatonin, let's say. So melatonin is the the hormone that makes us feel sleepy at night time. And when we wake, melatonin should be at its lowest and throughout the day it'll, it'll climb. Um, and the opposite of that, cortisol, which is one of our stress hormones, but also equally we need it, should um, peak around half an hour after waking and then slowly kind of decline throughout the day now if that's not happening and your cortisol staying up therefore you know your melatonin is going to potentially stay down Mm. meaning you're not going to be tired at night when it's time to sleep so that's just one example but then you can look at cortisol and progesterone for example um cortisol and progesterone repeat uh, compete for the same receptor sites in your body so when cortisol is high progesterone doesn't really get to do its job properly and that can show up as missing periods or delayed ovulation so you know there's so many each has a a role and that's a really basic explanation by the way it's a little bit more yes yes. (laughs) a little bit more than that but just to give an idea that one hormone doesn't just do one thing there's a many things that it's responsible for within the body and so you can start to understand if one is totally you know too high or too low that's going to cause a whole lot of issues for Men and women. Yeah, especially with what you're saying about melatonin and cortisol. Mm. We like, and also the, the toxins that you're talking about before, or the, the stresses in our environment. There's we're constantly stimulated, I suppose. So our cortisol levels are higher, and therefore our melatonin levels aren't reaching. And I suppose that's why so many people struggle with sleep right. and getting proper rest. Totally, and then that affects our fertility and so many. And you know, fertility isn't just about a baby. I want to put that on the record. Fertility is yeah. about having a thriving reproductive system. And when you're ready to have a baby, you can. Um, we see fertility as being the baby, and it's it's not. So, you know, people will pick pick up um, my previous book, Well and Good, and they'll be like, oh, that's not for me. I don't want babies. And I'm like, but you do want to be healthy. So maybe there's something to learn in that. And and so, yeah, really, again, it's just helping women to understand themselves. And I really feel there's this big gap where we don't. And we put it either in the too hard basket or we ignore things because it's sometimes ignorance is bliss. You know, Mm. we think that until we actually understand and and start to fix something. So hormones are, you know, we can test hormones. We can see where they're, they're, you know, what they're doing. Um, Again, that's not the be all and end all, but I guess that I'm always led by signs and symptoms for patients. Testing to me is just one facet, but signs and symptoms are never wrong, whereas tests can be a little bit grey. And it can be dependent on so many things. I had a patient that was diagnosed with um, adrenal fatigue by her doctor and she had – and so – I, and she only came in once, um, and this is why. She sat down, I looked through her test results, and I said to her, you are perfect on paper besides really high cortisol levels. 
And she said, oh, yeah, well, my doctor's diagnosed me with adrenal fatigue. And I'm like, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Do you have headaches? Like I went through all the symptoms of overworked adrenals because even adrenal fatigue is a weird diagnosis. It's more of the fact that the adrenals are just overworked. Um, and she's like, no, I'm actually fine. I don't feel unwell, but I'm really worried about the long-term result of this. And I said, so what happened the day before or the day of the blood test? She goes, oh, my goodness, I hate blood tests. I always think I'm going to be told I have cancer. I get so stressed out by them. And I'm like, mm, okay, well, your cortisol's just stressed. high. Right, because you were worried about the test. You're fine. Go away. Like, you don't need me. Um, in the nicest possible way, I, you know, see you later. That's amazing that he just diagnosed her with that Well, so I think quickly. the problem is that... Doctors don't have time with us Um, and it's just the way that the medical model is set up. You know, Mm. I will sit with a patient, a new patient, for an hour. If you go and see a doctor as a new patient, um, you would absolutely be lucky to get half an hour and most people get five to ten minutes. Ten minutes and ten minutes out. Right. And that's not – that's us as consumers' fault. We've created that, I think. I don't think doctors necessarily want to be that way. I think they'd love to have more time Mm. with their patients – I would love their expertise to extend beyond what Western medicine has, has you know, revealed as being true um, because often there's stuff outside of that that they're not allowed to talk about because it's not deemed as being real or true yet. yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think this is where you can fill the gaps. And, and so it's not, it's not the doctor's fault um, necessarily. And, you know, just like doctors can't say certain things, I prior to unregistering myself, um, couldn't say certain things either. And that was one of the reasons I was really passionate about becoming unregistered because it was because I want to be able to say the absolute truth to my patient. And if I'm bound by a body that is telling me I can't say certain things like the pill is leading um, to problems for women, um, prior, yeah, I was, you know, Prior, I had to be really careful how so I actually, said that. Yeah, wow. So you're Whereas not actually allowed I'm not to registered. Say that. Yeah. I'm not registered now. I can say whatever the heck I like. <laughs> and Perfect. That, that was making a stand. That was also me making a stand also for the industry too, yes, you know. Yes. And look, I, again, I wouldn't be saying to a brand new Chinese medicine doctor, unregister. I would be saying, please stay registered. But after 15 years, I feel like I'd done my bit and that I could actually make a stance. And this yep. was one of the ways of doing that. And I was still going to be taken seriously after 15 years of, of practice. So, you know, again, we just ride the wave and it's kind of slightly off topic, but I think it is really important for you to realise that we are all bound by codes of conduct of what we can and can't say. And they're there to protect the patient. And most of the time they do, but there's obviously certain circumstances where they don't. And Mm -hmm. that's purely because we have to have rules to follow. Otherwise, you know, there are, unfortunately, doctors, all sorts of professionals out there that don't do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in every profession. In every profession, exactly, (laughs) totally. Um, So I suppose if somebody is feeling a little bit off or they're feeling just, yeah, like not like themselves, would you say that a a possible answer for that could be that their hormones are out of balance? Oh, 100%. You know, if you are not waking up every morning feeling like you're bouncing out of bed then and you're doing many of the right things, 80% of the time, you know, excuse me, you know, you can't expect miracles out of a body you don't look after. But say you are doing, you know, you're sleeping, you're going to bed at the right time, maybe you're not sleeping, maybe that's a sign your hormones aren't happy, Um, but you're eating well, you're moving your body, you know, you're aware of your stress levels, but you're waking up feeling like you've been punched in the face every day then definitely it would be looking at your hormones. Um, If your menstrual cycles are all over the shop, if your emotions are all over the place, um, again, they're key things that I would look at to say, yeah, okay, hormonally. I mean, we've all said it though, haven't we? Oh, I'm just hormonal. 
so we've all said that we're hormonal, right? But what does it actually mean? Like we love to blame it on our hormones, but most people just say it. Or their partner's saying, um, are you due for something? That time <laughs> that of the, the month, worst. right? So I mean, PMS is an obvious hormone imbalance, definitely mm. an obvious hormone imbalance where there's a definite change in hormones. And some women get PMS for two days and others that are, you know, more severe, like PMDD, they're getting it for half the month. Now, that's no way to live your life. Half of your life being, you know, emotionally, you know, ruined um, amongst other symptoms, you don't need to live like that. So is that a sign that your hormones are out of balance? It's not a normal symptom to get PMS? No. So many of these things we take as being normal, they're common, but they're not normal. And again, that's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning. They're a result of our modern day living. And I guess that can be difficult to, to hear for, you know, patients as well saying, how, how dare you say that my lifestyle is causing this? It's like, well, that's exactly what's causing this. Mm. You just didn't know any different until now. Um, or how dare you say, you know, that that my severe endometriosis is my fault. And it's like, I'm not saying it's your fault, but I'm saying that things that you're doing are contributing to that. Yeah. We have to look at what's triggering that to happen in your body to actually be able to treat it and and allow you to live a better life. So, you know, it's absolutely a result of hormones. Yeah, wow. Mm. For somebody who is feeling out of whack and maybe they haven't been to see somebody like you yet, which I would highly recommend everybody listening to do, uh, or at least read your books, um, what would you do, what would you suggest to help balance hormones? Obviously, we know that food is a huge component. Food is a massive component. I think most of us still think we can get away with, you know, it depends on your it really depends on your health state as to what you can and can't get away with but food is either of benefit or deficits either going to take you exactly where you want to go or exactly where you don't want to go and so if you've got a diet that's full of inflammatory foods you know gluten sugar dairy all the things that we are delicious um but they they cause a whole lot of um you know disarray for the body then we need to really look at that if you haven't done that but if you have done that if you've say you've actually done like I said, you, you know, you're aware of your sleep, you're aware of your stress and these things, if you haven't done that, this is kind of in line with what you need to do. Um, emotional health is such a big factor for so many people and I see this time and time again in the clinic and again whilst I'll circle back and love Chinese medicine because it recognises that any issue is 50% physical and 50% emotional. Um, you know, there can often be something that has happened throughout our life that is contributing to our physical um, health. And so for those that aren't getting where they want to go, that's the one thing that needs to be addressed. It can be the hardest thing to address because especially if there's a known trauma, there's a known trauma and you're pretending that that's not there, that can be a big factor. But sometimes there's trauma that we don't remember or sometimes there's just some dumb story we're telling ourselves or we're telling ourselves over and over and over again. Um, and given that we're only conscious of around 3% of our thoughts, we're probably thinking it all the freaking time. Mm. So, you know, looking at that, I think, is extremely important, but it's also the hardest part. Yeah. So, you know, we just have to be aware of our triggers and try and manage those as well, but that can definitely be a contributing factor. Um, I would also look at just lifestyle as well. Like what else? Most women, I'd say, are estrogen dominant. Um, and that's because chemicals in our body products, our water, our, our, our you know, to a degree, our diet and nutrition and chemicals in foods, um, 
heating in plastic containers um, and stress. Stress adds to the estrogen pile. So there's things that can add to estrogen, but there's also how well is our body metabolising it. So how's our gut doing that? How's our liver doing that? And looking at how we can really try and get a handle on that, I'd say nine times out of ten for women, that works. Yeah. I want to know, step back to what you're saying about um, the emotional trauma mm-hmm. because I think well, it's very easy. To, there's a lot of information out there about nutrition. There's a lot of information about a lot of things these days. And whilst I think people are becoming better at talking about emotional trauma and that kind of thing, I still think it's difficult for people to address that. I think to even be aware that you've got emotional trauma it can be a difficult thing because you can kind of shove it all under and just blame it on everything else. So what would you suggest to somebody if they felt like they had emotional trauma or their emotions were really getting in the way of them living their best life? What would you suggest? Yeah. So I talk about in beautiful you, I talk about emotions and what they indicate as to which organ or system in the body needs to be addressed. So really looking, is there a dominant emotion to start with? Am I angry all the time? Am I sad all the time? What does that mean? If I'm sad all the time in Chinese medicine, we look at the lungs. Um, Maybe there's some unresolved grief or um, whatever. Everything comes back to grief. (laughs) Um, But the liver equally, anger, you know, and if I'm angry all the time, I need to look at the health or the state of my liver. They're just two examples. Um, there's two things that I would say to that. Really working to support the functions of those organs is going to help you get to a state where you can then deal with the emotional aspect mm. of that. So we can never do that from a deficient place. And that's why I say you have to do the other things first. You have to get your nutrition right. You have to get your movement right, your sleep right. Like how many of these things can we actually tick boxes on to leave that as the missing piece or the last thing to do? You you can only really get to that place of being ready to do that once the other things are working better. But when everything is deficient, it's near impossible to start there. Yeah. It really is really difficult. Um, And the other thing I'll say to that also is that I um, am a mad fan of um, psychotherapy. So I personally, I have two psychotherapists. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I love that. I love the work um, because it digs into that part of your brain that you're not privileged to most of the time. And really looking at the stories or the, 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 yeah, the stories that you've got on repeat that you've created for yourself and changing those um, is absolute game changer. I've told many stories about certain, um, you know, certain um, times when I've gone through rewiring thought processes or patterns um, with therapists but I really find that that's such a powerful therapy and I refer patients all the time to psychotherapists just because it really I mean there's a lot of science behind it we know that we don't know everything that we're thinking and that we know that we can have thoughts and we've, we've established by the time we're eight every you know we've established who we are what we think about ourselves at everything about us by the time we're eight. I didn't know that. That's yeah. insane. Which if is, is really like if you think I think about Olivia, I think, oh, my goodness, I don't have a chance to change that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can like becoming aware of what these, you know, patterns may be. We can have awareness and change it consciously, but if we don't have the awareness, we can't change it. And yeah. the change comes from being conscious, which can be so difficult. So it's something that has to be learnt and practised. Mm-hmm. I also, I think awareness also, it boils down to everything when it comes to mm. wellness. Like when it comes down to your food choices, you've got to be aware of your body and how it's feeling and definitely awareness is the first step. Absolutely. And, change. you know, all of a sudden you can live 
I'm telling you out of experience, you can live 35, 40 years of your life and all of a sudden have this new awakening and awareness and think, what? Has that always been there? Like it's the most bizarre thing Mm. to experience, to really be able to go, have I always thought like that? Is this new? Has it always been here? I have this new level of awareness. I can't go back because <laughs> I know something different now. You know, mm. I know this about myself. And once I know this about myself, what am I going to choose to do with that? You know, with this new level of awareness. Mm. You, but really, the choice is only to move forward. You kind of can't unknow something. No. So <laughs> it's it's really, really powerful and really confronting. But yeah, we see it all the time and, and really helping patients to move through that on a subconscious level becomes very important. Yeah, definitely. I Speaking of awareness and bringing it to all areas of your life, I always like to ask every person that I interview about their biggest tips under each of our 10 wellness pillars. Mm-hmm. Because like I said before, I think that it just makes up such a well-rounded picture. And as we've been talking about getting all of your ducks in a row with each of these 10 pillars, or at least making small changes in each of the areas can start to to give you a, a better sense of health mm. and well-being in your life. So I'm going to go through each of the 10 pillars and ask you a question under each. Um, so I'm going to start with mind because I personally believe that mind is the, the number one pillar, like we've been speaking about awareness. Um, what would your biggest tip be that you could give to manage stress? I get patients to really become aware of what they're stressed about Um, And you'll very quickly find that there might be one core thing and six other tiny things that actually don't matter sitting around around that. Um, The best thing to do is sit down and write them down. What Mm. are they? What are the things that I'm worried and stressed about? And then going through each of them and looking, does it actually warrant stress? Um, Because nine times out of ten it doesn't. You're just choosing it as a habit. Mm. Yeah, Mm. very good advice. (laughs) Awesome. Nutrition, what is your number one top nutrition tip? I'm a mad fan of fasting. Intermittent fasting for hormones is one of the best things you can do. Um, It's so hard. (laughs) But once you get in the rhythm of it, it's actually not. It's really not. I think... So many people resist it. They tell themselves they can't do it. Um, Again, nine out of ten women, it is a complete game changer for them and their hormones. So definitely if there's a diagnosis of PCOS, um, it can definitely help with insulin resistance, which is often behind PCOS. Um, But it sets up a completely different way of nutrition and it's everything that your gut does when it's not digesting that becomes really important so we know that's when the cellular recovery happens regeneration we know that it you know the the research is indicating it helps us to fight or prevent cancer excuse me um uh you know there's so many benefits so many um our gut is our emotion center it's where we make you know the majority of our dopamine um serotonin it's really important to give your gut a break so even if it's 12 hours overnight but i would say it's not actually what you're eating it's when you're eating mm, yeah definitely and I, there is a lot of information coming so out these days about fasting yeah if you had asked me five years ago i would have been like that's a disaster you're not doing that <laughs> as a patient like hell no but if you yeah if you think about it and you're eating every couple of hours yeah, your little gut guys. You're, to- you're topping and- it up, and you're 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 preventing because there's so much wisdom that comes from the fasting phase. There's so much your body can communicate and tell you. If you're constantly topping that up with food, it never gets the opportunity to actually tell you what that is. So mm. it, again, it's just it's so powerful. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to give that a yeah. go. <laughs> Movement. What type of exercise would you suggest to do to assist with hormone management? Yeah, again, my eyes have been open with this. Um, I mean, we know that women 
absolutely benefit from um, some type of resistance and weight training. And I think it's the one thing that's missing for a lot of women. We do very high cardio, you know, um, but the idea of weights, we've got this idea in our head it's going to make us bulky or, you know, you know, not be very feminine. Um, but it's so important for your hormones. It's important for your bones. It's important for your muscles. The recovery from that is really important. Um, and it's how you recover as well. So I would say adding that weight training is very, very important. I'm a CrossFitter and I haven't trained CrossFit for two months maybe and I really have noticed the difference yeah. in my body. I've only really been doing cardio um, just not for any reason other than it's just worked out that way. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I really can see the changes and I don't really like them. Yeah. So, mm. Okay, awesome. All right, our, num- our fourth uh, pillar is love and that encompasses the love you, you have for other people, it's your relationships, it's your friendships, but also the love that you have for yourself. So what is a good practice that you think that people can do to, impl- uh, to improve more self-love? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the whole idea of self-love gets thrown around a lot and people kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, gosh, I'm doing my best. It's similar you know. to the wellness thing. Right, just, exactly. It's, yeah. it's that, it's, we need a new word for it. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, it's just nurturing yourself, really. It's just prioritising. But I think that comes back to, like I said at the start, you know, no one's going to do it for you. And that becomes difficult. But like I said at the start, putting it in your calendar so that it absolutely happens um, you know, scheduling that day once a month or whatever it needs to be. I ask patients to have four hours a week of self-time, whether wow. that's reading a book, going to the gym, just with, just with you, you know. Um, if, and if you can start with that, and a lot of people find four hours really challenging. I know. It doesn't sound like a lot, but I suppose when the busy lads that we leave yeah. and, yes. yeah, kids yeah. and everything. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. All right, purpose. We kind of spoke about this at the start and you mentioned it was an evolution, but what is a piece of advice you could give to somebody trying to find their purpose? Oh, well, I think, I think if you're really clear with who you are and what you want to achieve, that doesn't, that's not difficult. I take mentees through a process where they absolutely work out what that is. Um, and it might not be what you think it is. So, you know, really doing some work on that. But at the end of the day, what would, what lights you up? What's the thing that you get out of bed for? Non, like you just bounce out of bed and are so happy that that's what you're doing on that particular day. And I think that can be a really good guide because generally what do, what that is we're very good at as well um, and we don't have to pretend or try really hard. And I think if we can really tap in and we're so lucky because we live at a time now where that's acceptable mm. to know what you're good at, know what you love doing and make a career out of that. Yeah. Whereas 25 years ago, if you didn't do English, maths and science, you were <laughs> deemed as, you know, uh, not going to succeed in the world. Um, and and so I think, yeah, what gets you out of bed in the morning and what doesn't get you out of bed? And if it's not doing that, don't do it. Mm. Like really, you're not living with purpose or integrity or, you know, I think that's so important. Yeah, and it's really that simple, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, me time. You spoke about this mm-hmm. before, making sure that you have four hours a week. Um what would you? What piece of advice could you give to somebody who was struggling to find four hours of time? Oh, don't start with trying to think. I have to find four hours. Start <laughs> with finding half an hour. Half an hour yeah. You know, and then how can you add on to that? Or how did that make you feel? And really, also looking at that, did it make you feel indulgent? Were you? Did you feel guilty the entire time? Um, how can we work on that? You know, what's that telling us about yourself? Um, but I think, yeah, definitely, um, just starting in small chunks. I don't say four hours 
on one day, you know, four hours in a week, really, if you break that down, is not that much. Yeah, yeah, Half totally. an hour. Yeah, true. Mm. Half an hour a day. Totally. Um, sleep. What's something people can do to ensure they have a better quality of sleep? I think people need to look at their sleep habits first of all. Are they sleeping? And if there is issues with sleep, they need to be addressed. And I don't mean with a sleeping tablet. I mean, again, what is your body telling you? Mm. Chinese medicine has an awesome body clock. You can just Google it and it'll tell you what organ is max, what's the maximum activity at a certain time of an organ, which can tell you if there's an imbalance to treat. So, for example, 3 a.m. is the liver. A lot of people wake at 3 a.m. You know, what do we need to do um, to um, look after your liver better so that you're sleeping better at that time? But stress definitely spills into sleep. And if that's what's happening, we need to look at what, you know, we need to look at that. But also, what's your routine? Are you sitting up on the computer or on your phone and then trying to go to sleep and finding that's really difficult? Um, Having some type of wind down I think is really great. So putting the phone away, going to have a shower, maybe reading for half an hour and going to bed um, is definitely going to set you up for better sleeping habits than, um, you know, lying on your bed, lying in your bed on your phone. Yeah. One other thing I get patients to do is just research indicates that if you can find three things you've been grateful for within that day it really helps not only with sleep but setting you up for the day ahead as well awesome that's a nice little tip I do find that if I am on my computer too late at night Mm. I struggle I have to switch it off Netflix comes on I know it's another screen no but the screen of the tv is very different to the screen of the computer yeah so in terms of the blue light that's been emitted from a computer or a phone um the screen of the television's a little bit less harsh (laughs) that's great news (laughs) (laughs) environment what is one first step that somebody can take from removing hormone-disrupting products from their home. Don't go and do an overhaul. You don't need to do that. You find you're here listening to me saying that there's estrogen-mimicking chemicals in pretty much every conventional product. You're like, oh, my goodness, I have to, like, overhaul... <clears throat> overhaul my makeup, my cleaning products, my dishwashing liquid, my shampoo. my can- So just replace one at a time yeah. and find products that perform. Otherwise, you're going to be resentful <laughs> to the process. So, you know, we're so lucky again. We're living at a time where there are amazing alternatives. Um, once, you know, 15, 20 years ago, if you found a shampoo and conditioner that didn't have a lot of the nasties in it, it felt like you were washing your hair with detergent. Whereas nowadays it's so fine that mm. there's amazing products out there. So just switch each, as each thing needs to be replaced, just switch it over. I feel like it's a common theme in this mm. conversation is mm-hmm. evolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, self-care, some of these pillars kind of tie into mm-hmm. each other, but self-care, what is something simple that people can do to clear their skin? And I know you're going to say it come back, comes back to hormones, but is there anything in particular, like one thing that people can do? Uh, clearing their skin... You need to – gut is definitely at the core of all skin troubles um, and then look at where your hormones can tie into that. So if you have nasty skin all the time, then the gut is definitely where we need to look. But if you have generally – my skin's okay, but then at the time of ovulation or period time, it's awful, then we need to look at that hormone regulation. So what is that telling us? Where is it on your face? That can tell you a lot too. Um, but I think using those tools to work out how to treat that, but I definitely would be starting with the gut function. Okay, mm. awesome. Fun. What is something fun you think people should try? Um, I think for me, research shows being social is really an important part of balanced hormones and just living a happier life. And I think it's the big part that's missing. Community is really missing Mm. um, in modern living. So 
I would say if you lack community, how can you go and re- replicate that? Is it in the workplace and a healthy community? Is it in the workplace? Do you need to go and find some type of group to become part of? Do you need to go, you know, maybe you need to join a comedy group or dancing or I don't know, something that's really outside the box but it's going to give you a sense, again, getting having a sense of community ties back to that sense of purpose as well. Yeah. So I would say if you don't have that, you definitely need to create it and yeah. that's a game changer. So how can you get out amongst it and meet those people? Just going to throw it out there. We also have a Retreat Yourself community for, yeah. for the podcast. Um, so if you want to join that, that's on Facebook and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, okay, lastly, because that's our main 10 pillars. Lastly, do you have any – what's your number one tip – to somebody who uh, wants to lead a life well lived. One tip. Uh, one tip. Overarching it's tip. It's almost like <laughs> there's a part of all of this we've spoken about, so many things you can do, but sometimes there's also power in the surrender of just not having to do everything now, yeah. you know. So is it that you could start with one thing that you've heard rather than go, oh, my goodness, I need to overhaul my beauty cabinet. She's telling me I need to fix my gut, my liver, my emotions, <laughs> my friendship circles, my community. Like It's like, all right, so what's the one thing? Or do you need to just actually stand back and assess where, where the best place for you to start is rather than trying to be overwhelmed by that. I can totally tell you that overhauls do not work. They yeah. just don't. Yeah. So it is starting very simply with the one thing that you can start to do. Don't start with the audacious, ridiculous thing. Start with the one thing that's possible, the little one thing, even if it's fasting or, you know, 12 hours overnight, start with that and see if you can get up to 16 hours. But just let's start the ball rolling with one thing. Yeah, amazing. I actually, at the end of each episode, I take all of the tips and pointers from the conversation and I put them into a downloadable document so people can download that amazing. and then just look at that and just do one, implement one. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been just so much information and just an over an overwhelming amount of knowledge, but in a, such a good way and such a positive way. And I know our listeners will get so much out of it. So awesome. thank, thank you, you so much for joining me. Where can our listeners find you? I will put this in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah, everything's Nat Kringudis. So um, natkringudis.com, Nat Kringudis on Instagram. I love to hang out there, same as Facebook. Um, but everything is there on that website or um, you can find that via the social channels as well. It all links back to awesome. all roads lead to Rome. <laughs> Totally. And they'll be in the show notes too. So, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I hope you're feeling just as inspired as I am after this episode. Seriously, Nat is just an absolute ball of knowledge. And I certainly know that I'm going to go away and make some changes to my life after that. If you're interested in finding out more about Nat, please check the show notes or head to natkringudos.com. And if you'd be kind enough to leave a review, I'd be so forever grateful. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week.